I want you to know, Christian, so many times we get into situations in life where we just want to throw in the towel. We want to stop the race. We want to say, I don't know why I got into this. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know whatever led me in this direction, but I'm tired. I'm going to give in. And it could be you are so close to the greatest victory you've ever experienced. And Satan loves quitters. Why don't you stand with me, please, as we look at John chapter 4. And we are going to start in verse number 24. And the Bible says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way unto the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Our Heavenly Father, we come to the last day, 2023. It's on a Sunday. No better way to finish a year than to be in your house, looking into your word. Thank you that we have this opportunity. Lord, we look to another year ahead, 2024. New Year's resolutions, thoughts, assessments of the past, looking forward to the future. And I pray that it is our desire to do better in 24 than we did in 23, to give you our very best. And we will be looking at that vein this morning. And I hope that you'd use the Cornerstone Baptist Church in the days ahead for your honor and glory. Thank you for meeting here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. Most of us are familiar with this story because it's a famous story. Songs have been written about it. And it's a wonderful story. Uh, model of what Christ does when he does the unexpected. The woman at the well was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were half-breeds, if you will. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. The Jews couldn't stand them. The Gentiles didn't really like them. They were alone on their own little island, if you will. They were outcasts. We won't get into the history of how they, they came about, but suffice it to say that the they were looked at in a very prejudiced manner. And the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with them. They wouldn't even pass through that part of the country. It was anathema. So for Jesus, in the early part of John chapter 4, for him to say he must needs go through Samaria, he had a divine appointment to meet with this woman. He knew it. She did not know it. But he knew exactly how this was going to go down. And I want you to know that every one of us have a divine appointment with Jesus Christ. He knows it, you may not know it, but he wants to change your life. He wants to speak to you in a personal way. He knows who you are, what you've done, what your past is, and that is the least of his concern. He's not concerned about your past, he's concerned with your future. Your past has been paid for under the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And whatever he, you have done, whatever struggle you may be going through is immaterial to him. He can cover it. He has paid for it. You just need to give it to him. And from that point on, once you trust Christ as your Savior, then the future is bright. This Samaritan woman had tried everything she could to find pleasure. She had married five husbands. She was living with her sixth. It's the typical scenario where we try to do the same thing over and over looking for a different result. And she was trying to find satisfaction in men. Ladies, let me just make it easy for you. You won't ever find a guy that will make you happy. It ain't going to happen. We are not capable of that. We will live our entire lives trying to figure you out, and we never will. The fact is, if you're looking for satisfaction, it can only come with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, guys aren't totally bad. We have our redeeming qualities. But this woman was looking for satisfaction in places that she could not find. She was drinking salt water and wondering why she continued to be thirsty. And so Jesus came, and he met with her, and he talked to her. And he told her who she was and what she had done. And this shocked her because she couldn't believe, who is this guy? And he identified her, to her, who he was when he had not done that before. To a Samaritan woman, to an outcast, he truly showed her love when she was not expecting that at all. So our key verse in our text this morning is verse number 34 that we finished with. Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Finish his work. Say that with me. Finish his work. So Jesus, very quickly, I'll give you, by way of introduction, there's some things that he said in verses 35 through 39. Follow along with me if you care to. Say not ye there are four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit from the, unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Jesus is saying in those verses, there's a harvest work. And we'll talk about that in John chapter 9. There are heavenly wages. Physical and eternal. I want you to know when you work for the Lord, you are sending up rewards in heaven that you will be able to appreciate for all eternity. Now, I know the world will teach you that you know, money is foldable, comes in green, and you want a lot of it. Well, there's nothing we certainly need to eat. We certainly need to... There's nothing wrong with making money. We all need that to live. But if you are living... To see how much you can accumulate in this life, you are going to live with disappointment. But if you are living recognizing that what we do can last forever if we do it for the Lord, then I'm telling you, you will end up with a very satisfying reality. There is a harvest work that needs to be done. There are heavenly wages, both physical and eternal, and there's a handsome reward. Verse number 14, But whosoever drinketh of this water I shall give him shall never thirst, 
But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. When you drink of the water that Jesus Christ offers, you'll never thirst again. Satisfaction guaranteed. You and I know that no Christ know that to be true. So, to finish his work, we are coming to the end of the year. We're starting into another year. I always encourage people to look things over. I've already set some New Year's resolutions. I won't share them with you right now, but I, I, everybody needs a reset. Everybody needs a time where you look around and say, you know what, uh, maybe I'm heavier than I should be. And I, I need to reset. Or maybe I don't spend as much time with my family as I should. I need a reset. Communion is a time for a reset. When you're around the Lord's table and you take, take assessment of your life. And are you right with the Lord? That's a reset. And for me, just the end of the year is always a great time to assess things. Number one, John 4.34 says to finish his work. I'm going to call that the starting line. Now, I know we're talking about the finish, but to finish something, you've got to start it. Okay? So to, to, to finish the work is to enter into the race. Nobody that starts something does not think they'll finish it. Everybody, when you start something, intends to finish. Question. When, does everybody finish what they start? No, not even close. I want you to tell you something, Christian. Let me encourage you. You signed up for Jesus Christ. Finish the work. Stay in the race. Don't quit. Say that with me. Don't quit. One more time. Don't quit. Because obviously, once you get into the race, Hebrews chapter 12 has this passage. It says, let, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And of course, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It won't be easy. There will be hills and valleys, hurdles, obstacles, setbacks, failures, all lie ahead and on the path that is before you. You don't know how, you don't know when, you don't know where, but trouble will come. Don't quit. I don't want to discourage you, I don't want to scare you, but you already know, life doesn't go like you plan it. So we don't give up on life, we just try to roll with the punches and recognize that God is absolutely in control. Said to say, when trouble comes in a marriage, in a church, in a business, a lot of times we pile out too quickly. We throw in the towel too fast. I'm reminded of the story of, a, of someone that had a, a, a gold mine that they had struck some gold in, and they were digging and digging, and finally, as you know, veins will wear out, and they'll run out. And so he decided he had gotten all he could out of that mine, and he got tired of digging, and he sold it for a song. He's just going to cut his losses and get out of it. So the purchaser of that mine went in, and he decided he'd pick up where the last man left off, and he dug six inches and hit the richest vein that they had ever found in that area. And obviously, he became very wealthy from that investment that he had made but the guy that sold it to him realized he was so close to winning. And he made up his mind. He said, I will never stop digging six inches from gold. 
And I want you to know, Christian, so many times we get into situations in life where we just want to throw in the towel. We want to stop the race. We want to say, I don't know why I got into this. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know whatever led me in this direction, but I'm tired. I'm going to give in. And it could be you are so close to the greatest victory you've ever experienced. And Satan loves quitters. Don't stop. Jesus said, I must finish his work. He speaks of two other occasions of talking about the work and, and that I want us to see. There are others. He also talks about my father works and I must work also. I want you to know work is not a dirty word. Our heavenly father works. I read a statistic this morning that Mark showed me. You know, there are 7 million men in the United States ages 25 to 54 that are unemployed. Seven million. This is some statistic that um, a men's group has put together that they're obviously they're trying to reach men. And I want you to know if there are seven million unemployed men, they are miserable. We get satisfaction from working. Satan knows that. And he wants you to think that a life of ease is the answer. And I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says that we're supposed to have a life of ease. Jesus worked. Jesus said, my, my father works, and I must work also. In John chapter 9, there's another great text that Jesus is speaking of his work. In John 9, 4, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, I want to call that, well, obviously we've already seen the starting line in 434. In 9-4, I want to call this the second wind. The second wind is when you've been running and you think you're just about done. But the, uh, uh, an athlete will tell you, I got my second wind. And when I got my second wind, that's when things really started to come together. And you just get this boost or something that happens. And I have found that when you are serving the Lord, there are times where you feel spent. There's just like there's nothing left. And you wonder, Lord, and, and we've been here, we're approaching 30 years. We're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary in the end of April. And we're, we're planning for that, and hopefully it'll be a, a fun time for the church. But I'll tell you, I've been, as I've been pondering 30 years, I thought, I've been preaching at that church for 30 years. Have I said anything worth listening to in 30 years? You worry about... And in that 30 years, I'll tell you, there's been many, 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 many. Do you get where I'm going? Many times where I thought, Lord, deliver me. Will you please take me? Will somebody call and say they think I should be pastoring somewhere else? Can I please get out of this? And obviously that has not happened because I'm still here. And that was not the Lord, that was Stan speaking, and that was not his plan. But I have found if you can get through that dry spell, that sometimes just wonderful things happen when you catch the second wind. And Jesus realized the brevity that he had. He, he knew we did not know. We don't know how long we have. We have no idea. It could be that you will lose your ability to serve the Lord and still live. You've heard me talk many times about Chet Littlefield. 
It's a man that was one of the founders of Bangor Christian School. He was a professor at a, a Christian college that I attended. He was one of my professors. He was a pastoring a successful church. God was using him in so many ways. Had a severe debilitating stroke, and he has never served the Lord to the capacity that he once did. He's still with us, to my knowledge. So don't think if I'm alive, I can serve. Obviously, God is still using his life, absolutely, but not like he was. You and I, may this may be the last Sunday we are in church. We don't know what the future holds. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There is a timeline for every one of us when your opportunities to serve the Lord in the power that you can right now will come to an end. It's going to happen. Stay busy while you can. Get that second wind and just buckle down and go for it. See, that happens when the second wind is working through the trouble that comes that we knew was coming, but now we're experiencing it. If you've been married for any amount of time at all, when you got married, you're standing in the altar, and some people will whisper in your ear, you know, there's going to be trouble here. You think, oh, no, I know it is. And you know what? There's some bends in the road. There are some times, if you've been married for 50 years, I've never met a couple that's been married for that long that didn't honestly have a legitimate position to throw in the towel and say, I'm done with this mess. But they didn't, and they're glad they didn't. And they've seen the hand of God in their life. I don't care who you work for, what you do. Every one of us can find an excuse why we ought not to continue to do what we are doing. But getting out of the business of serving the Lord is never an option. I must work. Through. Jesus recognized the timetable he was on, and he did not falter from it. So while you're sticking it out and trying to hang in there, here's what to do so you don't quit. Number one, attend church. Did you hear me? Attend church. Now, you're here this morning. Some folks will be listening to this online or, or watching it on our, on our uh, YouTube channel, and, and, and they're not attending church. Listen, church is not about giving people what they want. It's about providing what they need. Don't miss that. And so much of the time, people will say, well, I went to church, but it really just, I didn't find my comfort zone. Really. I've heard people say this. It just didn't, just didn't seem to work for me. Well, you know what, pal? It's not all about you. It's about coming here among a body of believers, seeing one another, encouraging one another, sticking with it, because we need this. And not only do we need it, we were told to do it. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I don't understand. Years ago, I ran into a guy. It just blew my mind. God told me not to attend church anymore. I, I think he un misunderstood the voice of God. I bet there was a little bit of a hissing sound going on in that voice that he heard. Called a snake. Satan. The subtlety of the lies that he will share. We need each other. Attend church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Forsake not the assembling of one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm telling you, as life gets harder, we need church more often, not less often. I don't want to pick on folks that don't come on Sunday night, but listen, so many churches aren't bothering to have a Sunday night service because nobody will come. Well, 
I think that's all in the attitude of how you look at that. But I think you ought to be in church every time the doors are open if there's an opportunity to do that. Now, if you can't, if it's dark and you're older, and there are legitimate reasons. But so much of the time, we're home sitting on our posterior, too lazy to get out of the house and go back to church. Ouch. Ouch. Attend church while you're running the race. John chapter 9 and verse 4. You've only got a limited amount of time. Listen to me. There are people now sitting at home, unable to go to church, that would love to go back to those services that they missed out on. Don't be a person like that. Number one, attend church. Number two, you've got to recognize there's going to be afflictions. Romans 8.37 talks about what shall separate us from the love of God. Trials, all those things. And then he goes on to say, we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. In Romans 8.37. There's going to be trouble, but God will not put you in a position that you can't handle. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Elizabeth Elliot says this, and I like this. God makes the assignments, and he apportions out the degree of difficulty in precise measurements. God makes the assignments, and he apportions out the degree of difficulty and process uh, assignments. So here we are. Do you remember, ever watched the Olympics? Springboard diving, gymnastics. And those people can do incredible things. Now, for instance, if they'll, they're uh, springboard diving, I can swim a little. If I get in the water, I don't sink. That's about the height of my swimming ability. If you saw me dive, oh my word, that's bad. But anyway, so these people can get on a springboard and jump and dive and go into the water and not even make a splash. I mean, it's just like they slice right into it. And there it is. And there is barely a ripple in the pool. Well, to me, that looks like a 10 dive. But the judges will say, well, that was very nice. But the degree of difficulty was not that difficult. So they give them like a one. And I'm thinking, well, it'll look hard to me. Now, see, you and I are graded on God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's graded on our, on our performance based on the degree of difficulty. Now, for instance, for a child, the hardest thing they've ever done is if it's an infant, to walk, to take two or three steps. And the grandparents, oh, did you see that? Oh, my word, I have the, the most incredible grandchild ever. I love what Jack Hiles said one time. He said, someone said to him, did I, did I tell you about my grandchildren? And he said, no, and thank you. You know, so, <laughs> so, but the degree of difficulty all depends on what you've experienced in the past. Some of us, have experienced some hard things, and the Lord says, I'll put you through that again, but that's not so hard for you because you've done it before, and it's not that hard. For others that have never experienced that, then God recognizes that this is a tough assignment for you, and he's the judge that's grading, and he's grading on whatever basis he's already put you through. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Every one of us have trouble, and there is zero chance you're going through something that no one else has ever gone through. Satan will whisper in your ear, Oh, this is hard, and this isn't fair. Well, number one, life's not fair. 
Don't you ever get bought into the idea that somehow the government's going to make everything even. The best way the government makes everything even is to take everything you have from everybody, and then we can all be broken. That's the government's idea for it being even. But I digress. Life is not fair. There's some winners and there's some losers, and I don't know how that works, but that's the way it is. But I'll tell you, there is no situation you can get into that isn't common. Many people have gone through it, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to enter into a situation that you can't handle, but will, in that situation, I'm paraphrasing now, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. See, if you're digging in a shaft that you think has run out of gold, that's not possible. There's gold there somewhere. You just need to keep digging, and there will be a way of escape. It comes to an end somewhere. For a Christian, even if it's in death, it's not an end. It's just a relocation of your address to a much better place. I like what C.S. Lewis says, and I have it in the front of one of my Bibles, and I don't know if it's in this one or not, but he said there is something far better ahead of us than anything we leave behind. And that's a fact. Don't you be concerned, if you know Christ is your Savior, about what's ahead of you. So obviously, while we're hanging in there, we're getting our second wind, we're attending church, we're recognizing that there's afflictions. And then also... Affirm your belief in Christ. Attend the afflictions and affirm your belief in Christ. 1 Peter 2, 7 to 8. There's two groups of people that are mentioned here. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they are appointed. So here's the, here's the deal. The message of Jesus Christ, our relationship with our Lord, is compared to a rock. Let me tell you something. You can't avoid the rock. You can't walk around it. You are going to encounter the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Somewhere in your life, God Almighty has clearly presented himself to you, and you've either accepted him or you've rejected him. He's either someone you built your life on as a cornerstone, or he is someone that is a stumbling stone unto you, and you trip over him, you're offended by him, and you want nothing to do with him. But either way, you encountered him. And Peter said he's either a cornerstone or a stumbling stone. And I choose to make Jesus Christ my cornerstone. He is worth living for. He's worth dying for. Honestly, he's the only thing in this sinful world that makes sense. And when you are running the race, and you're getting your second wind, and you're determined not to quit, the best way to stay is to stay together in God's house, to recognize his afflictions, but I can handle it because God said so. And number two, I will not be offended in Jesus Christ. You know, there's an interesting passage that we won't turn to, but there was a time when John the Baptist was in, in prison. And he couldn't figure out what was going on, and I don't blame him. I can't figure it out either. But John the Baptist was one of the greatest men that ever 
presented the gospel, Jesus said he was, he was probably the greatest. He's in jail, being held by Herod, because John the Baptist spoke the truth, told Herod, you're living with a woman that you have no business being with, and you ought not to do that. And so they threw him in jail for saying the truth. We could be coming to that in America. And so while he's in jail, struggling, he sends his disciples to go and talk to Jesus and say, are you the one that we should look for or do we look for another? And Jesus did some miracles while they're watching. He said, you go back and you tell John that the blind see, the deaf can hear. And blessed is he that is not offended in me. Blessed is he that is not offended in me. Don't you ever apologize or hide the idea that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'll tell you, if you will just hang in there and follow the Lord... The Bible promises that you will be blessed because you do. John the Baptist, I don't know what was going on there. I don't know if he was sending them to go see that because he couldn't show them himself. Maybe he just felt like, you go see what he's doing and see if he's the one. I don't know. But I do know that Jesus had the ability to wherever he was, just speak the words, think the words, and the gates of that prison could have been opened up, and John the Baptist could have walked out. But it did not work that way. John the Baptist ended up giving his head for a harlot that wanted it. Obviously, it's a disturbing story that how his life ended, but he served the Lord, and he was not offended. So we have, obviously, the starting line, the second wind, and finally, I hope that in the year 2024, no matter how it goes, you make up your mind that you want to finish strong. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying in the, in the garden. We call this the real Lord's prayer. And in John chapter 17 and verse 4, here we are. Eight chapters after, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. In John 17, 4, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, only Jesus could know while he's alive that he was done. John the Baptist didn't know he was done. He's in jail. He's thinking, I got more I want to say. But you know what? His purpose as a forerunner of Jesus Christ was over. That's why he was there, and that's why his life ended. It was over. Jesus, in John chapter 17, recognizes that he's getting ready to go to the cross, and everything he needed to do before his crucifixion was finished. I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. You and I cannot say those words, because we don't know that to be true. We're not God. But... It should be our desire to finish the race and to finish strong. You hear older preachers talk about the idea that I just want to finish well. Why? Because you know what? You and I could listen to people that didn't finish well. Their names are out there. We won't give them any more press, but the fact is, is they didn't do well. 
you and I could be one of those. Don't you think for a second, oh, I would never. We are capable of anything. Don't you fool yourself and think that, oh, of course I'll finish well. No. Finishing well requires you to be living right today. Because today could be the day that you finish. Finishing well requires you... If finishing well isn't 20 years down the road. Finishing well is today. And then tomorrow, finishing well is that day. And every day for us to finish well is to live for the Lord, to finish strong. You always want to have a little bit of a kick at the end of a race. My kick wasn't quite enough. I came in second. But I, had all, I gave all I could. Now, here's the thing that bothers me about finishing strong. Is, Al, I'm not as strong as I used to be. And I can't, if I was going to finish strong, I needed to finish about 30 years ago was when I was probably the strongest. So here I am now, and I have lost physical ability. I know it doesn't look it. I'm just being honest to you. I, I know you think that I can still do what I did in my 20s. I understand. But, but listen, for the things of the Lord, here's something that... Finishing strong, 3 John verse 2 says this, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. On the outside, it ain't good. But my soul... Belonging to Jesus Christ is as young and strong as it's ever been. I submit to you that some of our senior saints in this room are the strongest people in the building. It's got nothing to do with our physical ability. Everybody knows we age. Everybody, there's billions of dollars spent trying to stop that process. Save your money. Amen. It doesn't work. But what I do know is Stan Griffin's soul is as young as it's ever been. And it can continue, no matter my physical age, it can continue to grow in the Lord. 24 is ahead of us. Make up your mind. You're going to start the race by knowing Christ as your personal Savior. When the difficulties come, you're just going to pray for God to give you that second wind that you can run strong. And then don't ever quit. Finish strong. Do it with God's people in God's house. And I'm telling you, God will use you. Heavenly